Welcome to the Mum to Millionaire podcast. Now introducing my mum, Vida V. MumToMillionaire.com. Hello and welcome to the revamped Mum to Millionaire podcast. And when I say revamped, we are now going to be supporting women fighting the system. So two brand new episodes every week. Every Thursday, we are going to hear from an inspirational woman who is currently fighting the educational legal system. And then on every Monday is Mental Health Monday, where we are supporting you through this process because it can be very, very draining trying to fight anything. Today, I am so happy we have got this amazing lady on because she's kind of like two episodes in one right here. Not only is she a clinical hypnotherapist, she's an expert that specializes in anxiety between the 16 to 25 year olds. And she's also an educational advocate with over 30 years of experience. Please welcome to the show, Sue Smith. Hello. Hi, Sue. Thank you, firstly, so much for coming on. And a bit of a background Sue actually started treating my son last year. And she's been through this process with me. Um, We are still in this process of, you know, fighting for education for my son. And Sue, you've kind of um, been through this process with us, haven't you? I have indeed, yes. Doing my best, staying at the side and guiding. Yeah, and she has been amazing giving that guidance. And this is the reason I brought Sue on today as our first guest on this revamped podcast, because not only can she help us kind of navigate this system of education, she can also give us some really amazing self-care tips as well on how to look after ourselves as parents um, fighting this system. So first off, Sue, if a parent is in this situation where they are fighting for some kind of support in school for their child or children, What is that first kind of, I would say, kind of underlying support guidance that that you can say for them? Maybe we'll call it like a top tip to begin with. What what is it? What do we need to do as parents to really get the best result and outcome for our child? That's a really good question, actually. Um, What I would say is, having been on the other side of the fence... And I suppose it's a bit like poacher turned gamekeeper. Um, I can see where parents actually make mistakes and possibly don't get the best out of the school as a result of the mistakes that they're making. Um, And I am not saying that schools do the right thing all the time. Um, because they don't, and we know that from your experience yeah. in, in that, um, that's definitely not the case. But it, I think the first tip, and it is really my top tip, is, um, well, it's probably a twofold tip. So we'll start with the first one, is to stay calm. It's no good getting angry and shouting at people, because that doesn't work it doesn't work with children either the minute you start shouting at a child they switch off because they don't want to listen to it Mm -hmm. if you think about when you were young and your parents started shouting the first thing that you do is close your ears off 
And so that's what will happen to the school. The school will take a step back and close their ears off if you are being angry with them. Mm -hmm. So trying to stay calm and think about, about having a conversation with the school rather than being accusatory mm -hmm. is what do you want that's the first thing is what do you want from that school it's like saying what do you want from somebody what do you want them to do so if if I'm having lots of building work done at the minute as you know um, we've been going at it about nine months now and uh, so if you if I think about if I relate which sounds a bit bizarre, but if I relate that to working with a school, when the builder comes every morning, I have to sort of have a, a mental list or indeed a written list of what I would like him to do for me that day in order to get the best out of the build project. So I don't want him wasting his time on things that I would rather he didn't do. The same applies to school. Make a list of what you would like them to achieve for you and then approach them and say, look, this is where I think the gaps are. I think you should be doing this, but all I see is this happening. Can you tell me why there's a discrepancy between the two, please? And I think, I think so that's the top tip is what do you want to see happen? I think that's And fine. you will know, sorry. It's really good you've said that as well, because I feel, again, going through this process, me, there can be a lot of meetings and even that in itself is draining and sometimes I've come out of a meeting and I'm like what what was that I don't even understand what just happened because like mm. you said I don't usually get angry at teachers but I will cry like I because they will say something mm. I'm just like bah. um so I think that's a brilliant tip is just to stay as calm as possible and even what you the terminology terminology what you use it's a conversation and then mm. there has to be an outcome I've gone into so many meetings not even knowing what is the outcome of this meet why are we meeting mm. in the first place I mean I've had those EHCP meetings where we go in mm. and then it's all about blaming the, the kid of what they're do what they're doing and I'm like at the end I was like well hold on actually what did we achieve from that meeting no yeah. support has changed for that child and we're exactly the same place would you also say again being kind but firm you must yeah. stand your ground isn't it yes absolutely so um can you remember me giving you a tip and say saying even though you have beautiful dark brown hair that you need to be legally blonde <laughs> yes. can you remember me saying that to you so <laughs> you need to to be a bit when you get further down down the line, and I think, you know, you're coming at it from having been um, down the line of not getting what you want from the school quite a long way. Mm -hmm. If perhaps what we should do is sort of say, if you're starting out um, because you're not actually getting what you need from the school, then um, always, always contact the school first. And it's also the pastoral lead that you need to speak to first. So, you know, who's looking after your child? You need to identify that person first. And that's not always easy. So um, is it a head of year situation? Is it the tutor? 
And normally, and this is my experience from a, being a, a senior management person in school, is we would expect the tutor who's looking after your child to be the first point of contact. Then if you can't get what you want from the tutor, it goes up to the head of year. If they don't have a head of year system and some schools don't, they are vertical, then it would be their head of house or college or whatever they call it. Um, and, and then if not, and you're not still not getting the response that you want, then it would be um, the assistant head for pastoral care. They will have one, they all schools do. And, and then the deputy head. And so... Um, Maybe you could actually, after the podcast, we could just put something on there that um, I can give you the list in succession of who you need to speak to. And by doing that, you're making everybody aware of the problem that you've got. Mm. If it's a child on an EHCP, as um, your son is, um, talking to the head of SEND, um, the SEND manager at the school is really the person that you should be speaking to. So if we separate the two out of children with EHCPs and without EHCPs, with an EHCP, yes, all of those people need to be aware of, of what is happening to your child, but actually it's the SEND manager that determines then what happens to them. And so I think that's, that's my first thing is top tip is speak to the right people. And is it really important, even though we, us as parents may feel like a broken record, I think it's better to put all that time and energy into it first so you don't get into my position, <laughs> which, we're, which we're currently in. So when you are dealing with, with the Senko, is it a good idea? And I, and I did this a lot, is just really emphasize, is this message being communicated to other teachers? Because yeah. I was in the position where I was getting emailed from lots of different teachers, the heads of year, and it, it felt like they weren't aware of what my son's issue was. So again, is it very calmly, even if you have to write out a template email and send the same response? Yes. And maybe even, I mean, even direct them back to the Senko and go, you know, I'm really sorry you've had that issue in your, your class today with you know, my child, but have you spoken to the Senko? This is, I mean, is it, yes, should so all the any, teachers actually be aware anyway, or is it just a yeah, good step to No, it, that shouldn't be down for you to do. Any good school would make sure that at the start of every year, every child that has a, an SEND need is flagged up to the teachers that are teaching them mm-hmm. and with a list of strategies that they can use within the classroom to get the best out of that child and so they should all be aware and if they're not that's a school failing without a doubt but that should be down to the send team not always the send manager but the send team to ensure that those those needs are flagged to the teachers and actually the approach um from the teachers should be the same in every lesson because it's that continuity and consistency that makes a difference to the child so that they know what they're going to expect when they get in there and and that's really so important Mm. so yeah that should happen but if it doesn't then you do need to make somebody aware that actually in geography this teacher isn't doing this 
could you please put it right? And so what should happen within a school is that the head of personal care or SEND, depending on who's taking care of your child, um, should uh, notify the head of faculty or the head of department. And it's then their job to make sure that the teacher that they're in charge of is doing the right thing by that child. Right. Okay. So is there any, I think that's a really, again, (laughs) there's so many parents like that, like me, who don't even know that's that's the process I think we all hope for our child goes to school and then it's like yay everything's going to be fine and then something happens you're like oh what what is the process now so before if you know schools have just started as well mm. if we deal with the EHCP children first then we can talk about kids with mm. the EHCP so if your child has an EHCP mm. again for that communication to be really strong from the start between the parent and the school for the parent to understand, what are the school's responsibilities in that? Should there be some kind of even transition before that kid gets that? What what is that actual yeah. process? So, if if you have a year six child going up into a secondary school, the EHCP should go with them, will go with them, and there is always a transition. So, I was in charge of transition um, uh, at my last school. And so we spent weeks visiting every school where a child uh, w- uh, would be coming to us, talking to uh, the teachers to find out what the best practice was to get the, the great outcomes for that child, and then making sure that the heads of year, heads of department had that information before they they got to us in um, September. And so, you know, that's really good. It was outstanding practice, but most schools do that. So, yes, the EHCP, which I might had is a legal document and I'm not sure that every parent knows that but it is a legal document and this is what else is really important about EHCPs is um, they should be outcome driven so I know that you've been in an EHCP review meeting and we could spend an hour talking about that um, but we won't (laughs) but we won't so that that review meeting is with the parent, with the child, with the head of uh, the SENCO. And what that should do is it should lay out what the school are going to do in order to take care of the needs of the child. And then what the outcome of, of what their statement is. So, for instance, if they say, right, OK, um, your child needs socialisation, Uh, as part of their EHCP, Um, what will they do in order to ensure that that happens? And then what will be the outcome? And a lot of EHCPs have lots of nice words on them, but actually aren't outcome driven. And this is really important for parents because it's only the outcome that you're going to be able to measure when you think about it. So is that socialising taking place? Yes or no? And so the outcome should be that your child improves their socialisation skills and then you can say, yes, that's definitely happening or no, it's not. And so you need to change tack a bit maybe and take a different approach. If it's not outcome driven, they're not doing what they should. And a lot of schools forget 
about the outcomes. They're very good at saying what they're going to do, mm. but they're not very good at saying, and what will be the result of our actions, not the child's, mm. their actions. So what, what are they going to do? And then what will be the outcome for that? So the, the EHCP meeting really should be a very highly productive meeting where they're not blaming and shaming the child. They've done this and is actually, okay, this is what we've tried. This is what worked. And this is what different, um, sorry, and this is what hasn't worked. And if something hasn't worked, is that where the school be like, okay, that approach didn't work, but we're now going to try this yep. instead. And that is so great. What you said, even about having outcomes, um, mentioning to parents as well and so believe it or not I didn't know an EHCB was a legal document until a few months ago so mm. again so important that you've mentioned that and something you you mentioned as well is I didn't even know the child has the right to be at that meeting so yes my son has never been in an EHCP meeting saying that I've got one next week again and they, he hasn't been invited. So again, I'm now going to bring that up. Um, so hopefully he can be part of that. But this is the thing I think is is lacking is that awareness and information for parents mm. of it's a legal document, what we're even supposed to be doing in an EHCP meeting. Mm. So my advice is if you do have an EHCP go and do your research, find out the laws, find out. So you're just fully equipped because otherwise Mm. you're going to be like me. And I've had so many meetings where you just naively go in and you don't even know what you can ask for or what is supposed to happen. And that's when you start going in that downward spiral, I think with. um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane when you consider what an EHCP meeting does. Now I've just explained it, Mm. that a child isn't in that meeting because how do they know they know you need to talk to the child for them to be able to tell you well I I don't like this I don't like you doing this to me I really like this and I think I'm doing really well you have to give them the chance to be able to to have a voice and at at 11 12 onwards they've I mean earlier than that they've definitely got a voice you know they can tell you what's happening they don't always see the bigger picture which you would expect Mm. but at the same time that EHCP is completely and utterly directed at them and so they should be in that meeting it's not it shouldn't be a top down and we're going to do this to you it should be a work with and I just want to pick up on something else that you've said about you know blame game nobody should blame a child ever Mm. because I think um one of the things that I've perhaps taught you and you you'll either say yes or no is that um, with your son particularly, and, and really with anybody that's got a child with an EHCP, is you need to separate the behaviour from the child because there is always something, and this is my clinical background coming yeah. in now, but there will always be a reason why the child is behaving as they do. Mm. And so you need to separate the two and say, this is, this is my child but his behavior is like this and it is like that because not no I'm, child wakes I'm, up I'm, in te- the- I'm tearing up here because I, <laughs> I don't I've done so much crying over this. I know but you know I think that's such a big thing that Sue has said to me because 
you know, sometimes I was like, oh God, no one's going to be able to understand what I'm saying now. Legally blonde, legally, <laughs> legally blonde. blonde. I'm going to remember that out. But um, sometimes as a parent, you, and again, I know, I really want to emphasize, I know not all schools are like this. Unfortunately, you know, <laughs> I chose the wrong one. But I think when everyone's blaming your child, it does go into yourself. So sometimes I mm. started to blame my son for things. And then I would remember what Sue said to me. And it's like, you've got to separate them. Like half the time he doesn't even know, you know, what he's doing. And I think that's such an important point, you know, for parents listening to this. So you need to carry on talking. <laughs> okay. So if your child's, for instance, if your child has ADHD, for instance, there is there is some wiring in their brain that that actually makes them feel unsafe in a lot of situations. And so if there's a trigger there, and there will be one that is making your child feel very unsafe, they will react to that. And that's not their fault. So you couldn't possibly blame them for something that their brain is doing. So you you have to separate the two. And so that's when it's it's almost like, and I think I can say this with you, it was like a light going on when you when when you went, oh my God, absolutely, that's so true. And I've seen a real difference in your approach since since yeah. you actually registered that that's the case. And so you just need to go that's the brain doing a wrong thing. It's not my child. Yeah. Um, so it's not, not the child I gave birth to. It's, it's actually the brain making him or her do that thing. And I need to help him or her via the right person and the right person with the right skills to get the help that they need to, to reduce that you can't always stop it particularly with ADHD you can ameliorate it you can lessen the effects of it, ADHD but you certainly can't get rid of it and anybody that tells you that they can you know I think it is lying basically so um you know I don't want to leave everybody with that thought but <laughs> but it is it is about the fact that you know you need to separate the two Mm, and this is why it's so important as well for the parents, the child, the teachers, just that everyone needs to work together. Like Sue said, mm. what are the outcomes? Now, for the parents listening to this, that there's so many things we can talk about here. There's some parents that are dying literally to get an EHCP and they haven't got it. So mm. what about the parents that their kids are displaying behavioral difficulties in school? And again, what do they do? Because they haven't got that legal support, as it were, in their EHCP. So again, if a, a child is now transitioning or even from year to year or they're going to a new school, what is the best way for those parents to communicate with the school um, about that specific child? I think what I'd say is the primary school will be very aware of what's going on because you because of the situation in the primary school. So if you think about it, they just have one teacher virtually all of the time. That that teacher will know your child very well mm. without, without question. And so they should be flagging up any problems that they see. And that, that concern, so when I 
when I was doing transition, I would sit down with the year six teachers and we would go through every child that was coming to us because it was to it, to our benefit to know what we were getting through the door and how we could best help that child. And so the, the year six teacher will definitely know your child and should be communicating that up to the school. If that fails and you won't know that until you actually get to secondary school, then there's time to do exactly what I said, which is talk to the tutor first and foremost. And as I taught you, you need to write things down. Now, teachers are really busy people. So anybody that's got this misconception that teachers finish at 3.30 in secondary school anyway, I can't speak for primary school, I'm not there, but I, I do know primary school teachers and I can back up that this happens in primary as well, is, is ridiculous because that's a time when they sit down, they'll mark, they'll prep, they'll do tutor work there's a million things that a teacher has to do at the end of every school day and a lot of them don't go home until late so if you've just called and gone blah, the likelihood is that they will listen to you but perhaps not remember all of it mm. so the best thing to do is to get an email address for your t tutor and use it and, and not be frightened of using it. And I think one of the other things that that parents need to remember is that schools are there to serve them, not the other way around. And oh it's God, not, I have to, yeah. So it's you know not what? us being. So he has given me another light bulb uh, thing. As soon as he said this to me, I because again you start sometimes blaming yourself as a parent is it me am I doing all I can which I think is important in itself obviously we're the parent we need to see are we supporting our child in the best way and maybe going down different avenues away from school but again when Sue said this to me I was like oh my god I didn't even realize this Sue once said to me remember you are the customer the school is the business and you are the customer. Mm. And again, when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, now it makes sense. Because it's really interesting what you said, actually, even about that simple thing about don't be scared. Because a lot of the time I would be scared to mm. call the school or send them an email because I'm like, oh, no, am I asking again for help and support? So it's mm. actually getting away from that stigma of your being that annoying parent and it's like all mm. you're trying to do is get the best for the child which actually serves the school anyway it serves all the other children so again everyone can have a positive thriving environment to work in isn't it exactly exactly and so you know it's um you teachers aren't gods uh they do a brilliant job under difficult circumstances but they're there to do a job and they're paid to do, to, a, to do a job. And the job for them is to educate your child. And that goes with any needs that your child has. And so they should take account of them. And like you've just said, once you do that, you've got a really positive end result for everybody. So when that child's needs are taken care of and they come into your class, they're better. So you have a much better lesson. You have a smoother lesson. You're not fighting with, with trying to get them to, to learn. Actually, because the, the conditions are right, they're learning. 
And so your lesson is better and they walk. Everybody's happy. You get a good lesson. The child gets a good lesson. They're feeling a lot more positive about things. They come back to you engaged and wanting to learn. Everything is good. And so that trickles into the home then. So when they get home and you ask them, how was your day? They'll all go, hmm which is like what most children do. Did, what did you do? Nothing. I haven't done anything today. That's always a lie. But <laughs> we all know that. But actually, you'll see a difference once those, once those needs have been taken care of. Your child will be happier, and that will filter into home. And so home is happier as a result of that. So really, the fact that you're being persistent is just getting the best for everybody. And, and just think of it like that, really. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant point. Let's, you just, I think everyone's going to be like, wow, this has been amazing. But I, I do want to ask you some questions now, bringing in your clinical hypnotherapy as well. Okay. You know, again, a lot of parents listening to this will be like, do you know what? I am, I'm so, dr- it's only been a few days, a few weeks, and I'm already so drained. How can parents just really look after themselves because if we aren't our best again who's going to look after our children you know we've got to be the best for our kids at the end of the day as well what what can you give us some like I don't know if this there's never a quick fix but there are some reasonably quick steps you can take to just feeling better isn't there and just getting through that process yeah I think so I think um first thing is take some time for yourself that's really important and that's really difficult as a parent I think my top tip and this is this is how uh, I think everybody should live and, and that's quite a big statement but actually if we just stay in the now rather than projecting what might happen or going back over what has happened if you can stay in the now so every day you wake up it's like okay so today is going to be a good day and this is what I have to do and it's not about raking over old coals so if you've had a bit of a row with the school for instance leave it it's not going to it fetching it back isn't going to make it any better it's gone And projecting what they might say when you ring them up also isn't going to be of any help, is it? Because you actually don't know. There's a book called um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, It's a tricky read, I I will say. It's not not an easy page turner, um, but it's worth reading for anybody that that, um, thinks that they might need some help. Because really all it does is it tells us to live in the moment and and that is just saying what's happening to me now mm. how, how do I feel now mm. and so you deal with how you feel now rather than what you felt yesterday or what you think you're going to feel like that I'm going to school and I'm going to be anxious just wait until you see what happens when you're at school and then just try and breathe and I think that you know I sound like a yoga teacher now but I'm not but just like trying mentally to say I'm going to breathe slowly 
and everything will be okay. And it is the power of positive thought. And I deal, my, my work is within thought. Mm-hmm. So something I was telling somebody the other day that I was coaching and I was saying, you know, every time you say I think, or that's because when you're dealing with people, or I think, I think that's because you join the two, you're making a story up. Mm-hmm. It's not true. It's your thoughts. It's not true. It's what you think might happen, what you think they might say. If you can catch yourself doing that and just go, I'm not even going there. I'm just going to wait until I see what they say and then I will deal with it. So for older parents, you know where kids are going out uh, um, with their friends and you like (laughs) something might happen to them. That's a story. You just have to wait until something does happen to them. You obviously have to take care. (laughs) Yeah, no, you have to make sure that they're safe and that they've got all the tools to keep themselves safe. But there's nothing that you can do. All you can do when you're a parent is sit there and project what might happen. That's a story. You just have to. And we are living now. What is happening? They're out and they are safe and they will come back safe. Yeah, that's, oh, do you know what? That is such a great way to end it because it's, it is, it's living in that, like right now, nothing is happening in my life because I'm talking to this amazing therapist, Sue Smith. So I've only got happy thoughts right now and, and gratitude. Now, when I go and talk to the school later, that's a different story, but I don't need to, I don't need to think about that now, do I? And something that, to add on to what Sue said, something else that's really helped me, that's really aligned with that is accept the situation. So many times something will happen and I will fight against it straight away. But now I learn when I've learned to accept this is happening, it's actually oddly empowering. Because yeah. I'm like, this is what's happening. And then it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna deal with it now. And th- yeah. even that, this little shifts, isn't there, Sue, that we can yeah. do that just yeah. help us so, yeah. so much. Sue, you are incredible. This has been such a jam-packed show Mm. with so much advice on transitions, EHCP, mental health, how can parents look after themselves? Where can we find out more about you? And because you are an expert in anxiety um, for the 16 to 25-year-olds as well, where if, you know, someone wants to book in a consultation with you, where can we go? Yeah, so I have two websites the 16 to 25s, um, because they're not getting any help at university, um, I've put something forward um, on the web now for uh, what is called the virtualtherapist.co.uk. So if you've got a 16 to 25-year-old, you might want to have a look at that. Um, the, they can contact me via suesmiththerapy.com. Um, my phone number is up there. My e- email is up there, sue at suesmiththerapy.com. Um, that's sort of my private practice site. Um, the, we could talk, perhaps we need another session actually to talk about the virtual therapist and, and what that's about and, and how that can help the 16 to 25 year olds because I'm, I'm seeing a lot well, actually, it's it's pretty much 99% of my work now is uh, those 16 to 25s that are struggling, A, with the pandemic and B, with uh, the way university is going at the minute. And so uh, and I will just, there. 
say this quickly as well when you know when people are deciding on because I think therapy thank goodness is becoming more kind of normalized it's it's not like oh you're going to see a therapist actually yeah I'm going to see a therapist Mm. and I think when you're seeing someone actually look at what they do specialize in, because with mm. someone like Sue, she actually has got all that experience in education. So she understands what children and parents are going through, but because she's specialized in anxiety, she can really help you with that as well. So I would say before you contact anyone, make sure like you're seeing someone like Sue, who is a expert in something rather than, I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with seeing someone who's very general, But I think it's important if you've got a specific issue to see someone who obviously specializes in that as well. I think it's important. Agreed. And check out their credentials too. Yeah. That's important. You're amazing. Thank you so much. I will be putting up a lovely photo of Sue on the um, Mum to Millionaire Instagram account with her details and a recap of today's episode. So head over to instagram.com forward slash mum to millionaire and you can see um, all the amazing other guests that are going to be on the podcast soon as well. We will see you back on Monday for Mental Health Mondays. Thank you so much. Subscribe if you haven't done so already and we will see you soon. Hey, don't forget to check out the website for a full recap, mumtomillionaire.com.